0: Good morning. We are so glad you're here to join us this morning. If you're joining us online, welcome. I'm going to invite the Rogers family to come light our Advent candle for us this morning.
1: Good morning, and welcome to our second Sunday in Advent. For many of us, peace has become... An idea to chase after. An unreachable reward for completing an ever-renewing to-do list. A feeling that might be possible after the storm has passed. A curated moment made up of just the right people or scenery or mood. A moving target. But peace is not a pursuit. Peace is a person who pursues us. Offering, Offering us... Offering us a promise formed on an eternal foundation, perfect peace descended it to the dirt and disorder of earth with the shout of angels to bring close the steadiness of his presence forever. Today, we light the peace candle. Isaiah 26, 3, 4 reads, You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. Let us pray together. Lord, thank you for breaking through the chaos of life to offer us peace beyond understanding. We pray that you would help us remain on your firm foundation when we're tempted to be distracted, by the circumstances around us. Amen. 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 We invite you to stand and join the team for
2: worship. Hark, the angels sing. Lord. No.
3: our prayer time it is our prayer time I may be standing up here but this is corporate prayer this is all of us joining in as one heart so I ask that you set aside anything else Lord God that might be hindering us here in this place that you would hear our prayers as you do Be attentive to our needs. Thank you, Lord. Lord God, we praise you for who you are. For your goodness to us, Lord God. I know in my life I've seen your hand move. I know in others' lives in this room your hand is moving. Thank you, Father God, for who you are, for your care and your concern for each one of us. Individually, for your care and concern for this church and for your care and concern for the Big C Church, if we will. Thank you for your goodness. Lord God, I've asked you would express your will to us as a church, as this church body. Direct us, guide us. Give us wisdom to know the steps you would have us take, the paths you would have lead this place in. I ask for wisdom and guidance for those sitting in these pews, for those listening to us at home or wherever they are, that you would guide their thoughts, that they would hear your voice, that they would know your will in their lives, Lord God. Thank you for your goodness. We thank you for all the ministries of this church that you've blessed us with, with, the food pantry and our youth programs. Our adult mentorship, Lord God. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father God, for your goodness to us. Thank you for your provision, Lord God. Our pastor expressed to us as a leadership team not too long ago a prayer in his heart for the finances of this church last year. And he thought it was a big prayer, God. But you have met it and you have exceeded it, Lord God, for your goodness to us. Thank you for providing for each and every person, Lord God. You are a provider. You are a healer. You are a comforter. Thank you, Lord God. Father God, in this season where we tend to let too many things fill our minds and fill our thoughts and we get drug in different directions, Lord God, draw us back to you. Draw us back to you, Lord God. Forgive us, Lord, when we place other things ahead of you. When we forget that you are the reason that we are celebrating. Father God, I pray for this service. Each and every part of it, Lord, that you would bless it, Lord God. Bless our pastor. We thank you for our pastor. Bless his words. Bless the message you have given to him. May we have ears to hear what you're speaking to us through him. We thank you again. Bless the rest of this service. Bless each and every person here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with me as we recite our creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into the dead. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. In Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It is time to reach out a hand, shake a hand with someone near you. Eat and greet, folks.
0: Hello again. We are glad that you're with us during this Advent season. We're glad you're joining us here in the sanctuary and as well online. Um, If you are new here, we invite you, you can scan the QR code in the bulletin, Um, to fill out some information about yourself or you can, um, there's information cards at the Welcome Center. We invite you to go there after service as well. We would love to get to know you a little better. Pastor Jerry will be waiting there to greet you. So um, if this is one of your first weeks with us, welcome. Um, And we hope to get to know you a little better as the weeks go on. Coming up, Um, soon. So this Friday, December 15th, um, there'll be a ladies gathering at Joy Pettibone's house. So you are welcome. Um, you can bring a dessert or an appetizer, or you can just bring yourself. Um, we would love to see you there at six o'clock Friday night at their house. They live in Belvedere. If you need to know exactly where you can talk to Pastor Jason or Joy, um, And again, you do not have to be part of any other particular ministry. You don't have to have come to a women's group in the past. We would just love to spend that time with you a fun evening together, so plan for that. Um, Also coming up is Christmas so um Sunday is Christmas Eve this year we will be having two services um, our regular service at 10 in the morning and joy will be bringing the message to us on Sunday morning and then we will have our traditional candlelight service at 7 p.m on Christmas Eve as well and Pastor Jason will be speaking so please those are both wonderful times to invite people to come with you to spend time with your church family as we celebrate this wonderful time of year so we hope to see you at both places it's not an either or it's a both so we hope that you can join us um, for both of those times. This Wednesday will be the last Bible study of the year, so if you want to like get it in like for, before your taxes, that's not how it works, but um, you are still invited. This is the last one that you can be here Wednesday night for this year. After that, we'll see you in 2024, but um, that's a wonderful night to get to know people who maybe you haven't met before, so plan for it, even if it's just one week in 2023. Um, that would be great. Um, and as we thank you for your giving um uh, I know I mentioned it last week too, but we have um you are so grateful- uh so um not grateful so generous. <laughs> Goodness, why is that a hard word? Generous in your giving to the food pantry. So we collected many, many cans and many, many other things. The food pantry has been seeing more families um, through this month. So the fact that we were able to collect those things and add that to what they've been giving out is a great blessing. So thank you for, uh, as we serve those 40 to 50 families each week, um, we're grateful for the ways that you've served them. So, and as we um, thank you for giving, there's many ways to give. Most of you have probably got gotten a Christmas letter with a Christmas offering. Um, That's a special offering that we take during Christmas time. So we thank you for those gifts and for your generous regular giving as well. There are um, envelopes at the back at each welcome table. You can give online. You can even text to give um, today. So thank you for that. Let's stand together as we continue to worship.
4: We thank you for your incredible faithfulness. We thank you for your awe-inspiring power. We thank you that we can trust you. God, all across this room, there are people with stories whose, whose life is, is based on or has been built on the incredible things you've done to make life possible to make life better, to make life worth living. And God, so we we come this morning, we we do, we, we, we declare what that song says. It's not just a song we sing, but we place our trust in you. We find our hope in you, we find our peace in you. And so God, I pray for anyone experiencing a lack of hope or a lack of peace this morning whether they're here in the service or whether they're online. God, I pray that through your grace and your mercy, that you would reveal how much you love and how much we can trust you to each one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church. It's an honor and a privilege that you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you are here. And um, uh, we're going to skip the sermon bumper because I've skipped it. So um, we're, we're glad that you're here. Thank you for spending some time with us. And while our kids are dismissed to Children's Church, check out this video. You may recognize it. So, who remembers that commercial? If I'd have stopped, who could sing along with it if I, we'd have stopped the audio? Sometimes we want, in fact, people in 1991 wanted to be like Mike. All across the country, uh, on basketball courts, uh, 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 in, in, out in the parks or in gyms, people wore his sneakers, people drank Gatorade, people pretended they could dunk, they tried to lower the rims so that they could be like Mike because none of us could jump as high as him. I, I remember, I was, I was a high school basketball player at that time, and I was convinced I was going to go to North Carolina on a basketball scholarship, and I was going to be like Mike. I couldn't dunk, but I could. I was a better shooter, so we'll just go with that. Um, I think there's something inside all of us that aspires to be more than we are, and sometimes we aspire our hope or dream to be someone else. We, there's something innate inside of us that sometimes becomes unfulfilled with who we are. We, be, we can feel there are times where we feel unsatisfied or we're aware of the ways that we haven't lived up or measured up to maybe our own expectations or maybe the expectations that someone else outside of us uh, have placed on us. And so we start to feel, we can start to feel like, I wish I was them. They have it all together. Or they have this, I wish I had this, if I were like them, I'd have this. And so that's a common uh, question, but I think as we get older, at least in my experience as we get older, uh, I've learned that we start to change that question, and so maybe we ask it differently. We start to say, rather than be, I wish I was like them, we start to ask, how can I be the person I want to be? What do I gotta do to accomplish the goals that I have for myself? One time, uh, I was reading, uh, I was reading a book this week. It's, uh, it's, it's called the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's, um, and to, talks in here, it talks about three, pillars of the church lately. If you're a church geek like me, you'll recognize some people that I'm about to talk about, but most of you won't know these names. But one, one of the things it talks about in this book is a conversation that, that happened between two men. One is named John Orberg. He's the person on the right of that screen. And one is named Dallas Willard. And they had a mentoring relationship and John was mentored by Dallas. And so one time... John Orberg was uh, unsatisfied with who he was, and he was talking to his mentor, Dallas Willard, and he said, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? Have you ever asked that question? What do I need to do to get to who I want to be? I feel like I know who I want to be, but somehow I become distracted or I become, uh, there's something that happens that creates obstacles in me for me to be and I become who I don't want to be. In fact, Paul even wrote that. So in Romans, he writes, "I somehow I struggle to not be who I want to be." Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've asked that question. And so when John Orberg asked that question to Dallas Wood, Dallas Wood said, uh, "You've got to ruthlessly eliminate hurry in your life." He said, "Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day." You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John Norberg heard that and said, okay, then what? And Dallas Wood said, there's no then what. You must eliminate hurry from your life. What do people normally, how do people normally? Answer when you ask the common question that you, most people don't think any not, uh, any full response is being looked for. When you say the, this question, you all say it. We all say it. How are you? Someone will say fine. Some people will say good, just busy. You ever heard somebody talk about answer that question with part of their answer is busy? Uh, Pay attention and you'll find that answer everywhere. You'll find that answer across ethnicities, across gender, stages of life, class. College students are busy. Young parents are busy. Empty nesters living on a golf course are busy. CEOs are busy. Baristas are busy. Part-time nannies are busy. Americans are busy. Kiwis are busy. Germans are busy. We're all busy. To be sure, there's a healthy type of busyness uh, that where life is full and it's full with things that matter, and time isn't wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. By that definition, even G- Jesus was busy. The problem isn't that we don't have a lot to, or the problem isn't that we have a lot to do. It's when we have too much to do, and the only way to keep up with the quota is to hurry. We've got to do more. We've got to do more, and all of this busy. Has us kind of reeling at times. There was a study conducted years ago with the goal of identifying obstacles that Christians had to conquer in order to grow in their in their uh, business life, in their spiritual life, and in their relational lives. And uh, it was all over the world. People, Christians were asked, twenty thousand Christians, and here's what they found: They found that um, that busyness was identified as a major distraction from spiritual life. The conclusions of the study were, first, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. Thus, God is becoming more marginalized in Christian people's lives. Thus, the relationship with God is deteriorating. Thus, Christians are becoming even more vulnerable to adopting non-biblical assumptions on how to live. Thus... There is more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And the cycle starts again. One of the major distractions we face in our life about how to live a life that Jesus has called us to live, the life that Jesus offers, a life of peace, is we are so distracted by all the things we have to do. And every time, we're offered another thing, we run to it. By the way, the study found that pastors were the chief uh, violators of these rules. I'm, I'm not uh, guilty of this. This week has been uh, a real revelation to me. Hurry is dangerous. Cory Timboon Boone uh, once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut you off from your connection to God, from your connection to other people, and even to our own soul. This new speed of life, it's not a Christian way of life. Think about it. What's the greatest value in Christ's economy? In, in Jesus' economy, what's the most important thing? The, Paul said the greatest thing is love. Jesus said the greatest commandment um, in all of the Torah was to love your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. The problem with love is that it can be painfully time-consuming. Hurry and love are not compatible. Some of you may have speed dated in your life. But hurry and love are not compatible. The same is true of hurry and joy and hurry and peace. Love, joy, and peace. These are three values at the heart of Jesus' kingdom vision. And all three are incompatible with hurry. For example, think, take joy. Take joy for a second. Not my wife, the, the concept of joy. All the spiritual masters, both from inside and outside Christianity, agree on this one thing. If there's a secret to happiness, it's simple presence in the moment, it's allowing yourself to be present in the moment. The more we are in the now, the more joy we're likely to tap into or think of peace. Think of the last time you were in a hurry uh, to get to your next event uh, and you were running behind. Just for a second, picture this with me. The the, The last time you were late for an event that you wanted to get to, when you were on your way, And trying to put it all together. Did you feel the deep shalom of God in your soul? Did you feel a grounded, present sense of calm and well-being? I'm guessing you didn't. Love, joy, and peace are at the heart of all Jesus is trying to do in in the soil of our soul. In the soil of our hearts. And hurry is the weed that needs to be rooted out. Matthew, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is quoted as saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus' invitation is to come. Throughout the Gospels, we consistently and continually find Jesus inviting people to come follow him. His offer to come follow him is not an effort to have a longer conga line. Jesus isn 't playing "Follow the Leader and trying to have a, a long line behind him. When he invites people to come and follow him, what he 's inviting them is into his "Come, learn from me, be my apprentice." The word that translated into, uh, to disciple in the New Testament also translates into apprentice. When Jesus invites people to come and follow him, he's not just saying there's a party we want to go to. He's saying, come, learn from me how to live. Jesus offers an invitation to come follow him. The invitation is to follow him, to learn to be like him, uh, the, and the invitation... Sounded Just like we read Just like we just read That's what Jesus offered And so I'm going to read it again But this time as I read this I'm going to ask you to bear with me I'd ask you to close your eyes I'd ask you to breathe deeply And instead of Thinking that you're hearing me I want you to picture Jesus talking to you right now Picture yourself hearing Jesus' voice Come to me All who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the message translation uh, or paraphrase version of that passage, Eugene Peterson writes that it could have sounded like this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and recover your life. I'll show you what it is to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't let anything heavy or ill-fitting be placed on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. There's one statement in that that sticks out to me. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. This is an invitation for the tired, the burned out, the stressed, and all those stuck in traffic and behind their to-do list. Those who find themselves reaching for another cup of coffee just so that they can make it through the day. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. You see, Jesus was a rabbi, uh, which is a spiritual, which is a term that is a spiritual overtone. But in Hebrew, rabbi means teacher. And it, it, Every rabbi in Jesus's day had two things. And we only have time to talk about one of them today. They had apprentices and we're not going to go into that, but they also had a yoke. Um, and it's not a, a literal yoke, has nothing to do with an egg, and in the, Jesus wasn't a farmer, he wasn't placing, uh, people didn't carry around a, a burdenful thing that they had to drag. It was their teaching. Their yoke was their teaching. You, you, you carried your teacher's teaching, and you became like your instructor. And so, a yoke was a common idiom that, uh, in the first century for a rabbi's way of teaching the Torah. But it was more than that. It wasn't just the teaching of the Torah. It was a rabbi was teaching his uh, his apprentices how to live. You took on the character of your rabbi. And so Jesus, when he, uh, Jesus asks us to take on his yoke, his teachings of on, on how to be human, the way to shoulder the weight of life in marriage and divorce and prayer and money. And physical intimacy and conflict resolution and government and sickness, all of it. But the difference, and we've been talking about differences during this Advent season, the difference that Jesus offers, the the yoke of the difference of the Jesus' yoke was that it was easy. Jesus talks is talking to the tired, to the burned, to the burned out. And when he does that, he talks about a yoke, which is quite interesting if you think about it. Because a yoke is a work instrument. And so Jesus is saying, in essence, all you who are tired, burned, worn out, come work with me. If I were going to talk to the tired, burned out, worn out, I would say, take a day off. I don't like spas. Don't I got a massage one time in my life, I'll never do it again. Don't want people touching me. But I might offer that as a suggestion to the worn out. Go get a massage. Give yourself a a self care day. But Jesus' response to the people who are burdened is to offer them a work instrument. Come work with me. Here's my yoke. You see, what Jesus offers is not a a, a vacation, it's not a personal day, it's not a drink. Jesus realizes the most restful gift he can give to the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. We can't get away from them. Jesus offers equipment to navigate that life. Jesus says, carry my yoke. It's light. It's not burden filled. And what he's saying is when you live in obedience to my teachings, and if you want to understand his teachings, they're in Matthew 5 through 7. It's a great summation. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about what it is to live life differently. And Jesus, if you want to understand Jesus' teachings and a new way of, of living, a way, a life that uh, has balance and a caring life that will give us more peace than the one we've been living, walk alongside Jesus, work with Jesus, and start to care, live the life the way he lives life. Jesus' invitation was to take of his yoke to travel through life at his side, learning how to shoulder the weight of life with ease, to step out from the burden burnout society to live a life of soul rest. now maybe you're here you're thinking you're, uh, listen i 've been a Christian my whole life or for a, some length of time i've been a follower of Jesus, and that's not the life you' that the life I'm living isn't described what you just offered. When you come to Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, The peace of Jesus, the yoke of Jesus is not guaranteed to you. It's something you have to choose to live. It's a secondary thing. Jesus didn't call us just to accept him as our Savior and then live life the way we were living the whole time. Jesus calls us to come to him, and when we do, the Holy Spirit works inside of us, and we start to live in a way that reflects Christ's character in the world. We make different decisions. We care about different things. And it doesn't have to come from guilt. It's not a, I can't do that anymore. You find yourself desiring different things. And so, maybe you're here and you're saying, honestly, I'm tired, and I've yet to experience a life of soul rest like you're discussing. Well, if that's you, here's what Dallas Willard wrote to you. In In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Here's a killer for me. Our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists of loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us uh, does. That's a strategy doomed to fail. If we try to implement some of the characteristics of Jesus, but we don't try to live the life of Jesus, eventually those characteristics will burn us out because it comes out of our own effort. But when we come to faith, when we really decide to live like Jesus lives, the Holy Spirit transforms who we are and we start to live in a way that peace is part of the way we live. It's part of the rhythm even in the midst of the chaos. The best way to experience the life of Jesus is to adapt the lifestyle of Jesus. Your life is a byproduct of your lifestyle. And by life, I mean the experience of the human condition. And by lifestyle, I mean the rhythms and routines that make up your day-to-day experience. Things like the way you organize your time or spend your money. Like you, I have heard oftentimes that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. But sometimes I think as Christians, that's exactly what we do. We live our life the way we understand the way to live our life, but we expect God to do something great and big and suddenly it will be different. But we haven't lived differently. And the miraculous thing about God is sometimes through his might, through his mercy, through his power, through his grace, things change even when we don't. God is a miracle working God. But if you plan your whole life just based on God doing miracles and you don't allow God to change your character and work inside of you, you'll see God move once, twice, maybe three times. Miracles don't happen in our lives every day. Miracles happen every day. But if it happens in your life every day, I'm not experiencing the same thing. We get a vision of the kind of life that is possible through Jesus when we go to church, when we read a book, or we listen to a podcast. We catch a glimpse of the kind of life we ache for, one of emotional health and spiritual livelihood. And in our gut, we immediately cry out, yes, that's what I want. With all the willpower we can muster, we decide we're going to set ourselves up to change. But the reality is all we oftentimes go back to living the exact same lifestyle and nothing changes. And we feel stuck again. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Everybody who's sick of that lifestyle, I'll give you rest. And so if if you want to experience the life to the full experience that Jesus offers, his nonstop conscious enjoyment of God's presence and the world, you have to adopt not only the theology of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You have to come and follow him, spend time with him, and start to live your life like him. This is an exhaustive list, but I'm going to offer four habits to adopt that help us experience the peace of Jesus this morning. the first one is silence and solitude. Jesus was intentional about being alone with God. Now, I know not all of you are like me, but if I were Jesus and I knew I have this much time to accomplish all that I'm going to accomplish on the earth. And I'm going to set in motion the redemption of all creation. I'd have a to-do list. I'd have a, here's other things I'm going to accomplish. I got three years. Boom, boom. I don't got time in my three years for quiet time. I'm gonna be in heaven for eternity. I got time for quiet then. I can spend time with the Father then. But that's not the decision Jesus chooses. Jesus makes it an intentional thing to spend time alone with the Father in the, in the rhythm of his day. And sometimes it meant sacrificing sleep. He goes and spends, goes out into the wilderness at night. Sometimes it meant sacrificing other people 's agendas, and we 'll get to that in a minute. but Jesus was intentional about making sure that what was coming in so that he could serve other people, what he could be, fill other people with, he was being filled with. This became very real to me this week um, i don't i 'm incredibly blessed it is I've told people this recently that pastoring this church is the dream I didn't know I had. I am, I can't tell you how fortunate I am. But one of the things that I've learned about ministry is the time between Labor Day and Christmas is a sprint. And it doesn't take long to look at me to think, to realize I don't do sprinting well. I don't do, I don't don't like to run. I don't like to run, and I don't go to the gym. Jim's a bad guy. He's always hurting people. This this fall, because I I'm I'm working through a master's program that I'll I'll finish in the spring, I took two classes. The first time I took two classes, I took two classes in the season where church life gets busy, and quite frankly, it was too much. It was just. Too much. I was running at a band, see, there's that word again. I was running at a bandwidth that was not very easy. I was just treading water. I had my head just above the the water and I was not flourishing. And this week, uh, these last two weeks were finals and tests and all this kind of stuff. So it was the culmination of the, the madness. And I realized, um, I don't like Christmas right now. And I love Christmas. Christmas is awesome. I love driving around, looking at people's lights and decorations and all this kind of stuff. Most of the people in my family find that boring. Sometimes I have to go by myself just to watch all the lights. And I had not even really paid attention to the fact that it was the Christmas season. And I realized, whoa, I'm off kilter here. And I was sitting in my I was sitting in my car, and I realized, you know what I need right now? I need to sit in my family room on my couch with all the lights off and the Christmas tree on and nobody in the room, and I can just spend time with Jesus. And I can realize that I need to be in the present. When I did that, everything in my life, no, that's, everything in my life doesn't fade away. We want to believe the idea, that if I just do that, everything will be perfect. Everything was still there, but so was Jesus. You want to adapt, adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You want to become, experience the life to the full that he has. You want to have his yoke, spend time with him in silence and in solitude. It's the opposite of everything we know to be right. There was a there was a Senate campaign, uh, a Senate meeting and testimony in 1965. And in this in this meeting in 1965, it the testimony was by the year 1985, people will only have to work 27 hours a week because we will have found such efficiencies we'll be getting everything done that we can only, we can do it in 27 hours a week. We're just going to be better humans. And you know what we did? We just added more work. And so now we may get what took 40 hours. We may get it done in 20. But we've added 60 more hours of work. So we get to 50. And we just keep piling and piling and piling. And Jesus is saying, come, follow me. The second, the first is silence and solitude. The second is Sabbath. Mark chapter 2 tells the story of this interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees, and we're not going to read it. But I encourage you to read it this week. On this particular occasion, Jesus got in trouble with the Pharisees because he and his friends were celebrating the Sabbath, they were festive, and they were supposed to be pious, and the, Phil, uh, and the uh, Pharisees were offended. And so uh, they were telling him that he needed to follow the laws and rules of the Sabbath. And when, they, when rebuked like this, Jesus responds and says, um, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." Now, in our culture, we're not very legalistic about the Sabbath. In fact, most of us don't practice it at all. We view the Sabbath as an hour or two on Sundays to come to church. In fact, in the Jewish tradition, the Sabbath was a Saturday. It was the the last day of the week. We celebrate, if we celebrate a Sabbath, we, we build it around Sundays because Sundays are the day that the Lord rose again. And so we have built our tradition around Sundays. But Sunday service doesn't, uh, doesn't really capture the idea of service and, uh, or of Sabbath. And in our culture, we certainly can't afford to dedicate a whole day every week to rest. But Jesus was tapping into a practice as old as the earth itself. Sabbath was made for man. God ordained the Sabbath to help us have a sustainable, scalable rhythm to live life. God ordained, created the Sabbath. He designed it as a gift to us to help us deal with life over a long term. We don't have time for it. And I think Jesus would say to us, you don't have time not to. We are so driven by our clocks that we forget that we're the ones who wear it. It doesn't wear us. It is a tool for us, not us a tool for them. Third, Simplicity. Really, this is about materialism more than anything. There's a French sociologist named Jean Bourrillard, like I pronounced that correctly. He's made the point that in the Western world, materialism has become the new dominant system of meaning. He argues that atheism hasn't replaced cultural Christianity, shopping has. When we get our identity from the things we buy or sell, we begin to embrace this culture of materialism. Now, is it bad to have things? I mean, I just showed a commercial about Michael Jordan. That was 1991. Still, people are clamoring for his sneakers. It's not bad to have things. But when things become the thing that build your identity around that you build your identity around we have them off kilter when clothes that we wear builds our identity we have things off kilter or the brand of our phone or the car that we drive or the neighborhood we live in or the gadget we want for a lot of people these things aren't just things. They're their identity. Things not bad. When it becomes the most important thing, it's off. And Jesus offers, encourages us to find our identity in him. As opposed to the, that system of materialism, here are some sayings of Jesus. Here are just some sayings that come from the mouth of Jesus. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not exist in an abundance of possessions. Or sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Or don't worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body. I count that one or what you'll wear, isn't life more than food and your body and more than clothes? Seek first God's kingdom. Or, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is not calling for us to abandon capitalism and live a life of socialism, although he's calling us to live a life of generosity and to not hold on to any one thing that we wouldn't be willing to give it up for the betterment of someone else. Simplicity. And fourth, slowing. In John chapter 11, Jesus gets word that his friend is sick. His friend is named Lazarus. And some of you have heard me talk about this before, but I I, I was brought back to this this week because as I am trying to live up to paper dates and exam dates and doing all the things that I need to do to finish things in time, I I came back to this passage and Jesus hears that his friend is sick. And he does the incredibly hurrying thing of waits three days to do anything about it. I was talking to some people in this room this morning. They were talking about a text uh, chain that they had with their friend. And their friend texted them and and they didn't respond to their friend in like two minutes. And they got three question marks like, where are you? If Mary and Martha had a phone... To text Jesus, you know they're like, where are you? In fact, four or five days later when he actually gets there, they say to him, where were you? If you had just been here, Lazarus would be fine. By the way, he's dead at that point. Ever really need someone else to respond like in the moment and get frustrated when they don't? I do. Particularly with my children, whom I love, especially when they don't respond to my texts, even though I pay for their phone. I told you, pastors are some of the most guilty uh, people on this. So, in this moment, Jesus delays his response. And in, in the course of time, Lazarus dies. And he gets there eventually, and he raises him from the dead. Because Jesus isn't bound by our idea of time. He's going to do his work. But for Mary and Martha, the idea of what seems natural won over the idea of what Jesus could do. And because when we live our life by what seems natural is better or bigger or stronger than what Jesus can do, we start to get anxiety about the thing that's happening instead of the God who's bigger than the thing that's happening. Jesus takes his time and uses it as an opportunity to to show his grace and mercy through it. It's not the only time he does things that doesn't make sense. There's another occasion he's approached by a man named Jarius who has a daughter who's sick. And Jarius says, Rabbi or Jesus, come quickly. We need you. So Jesus goes with Jarius to Jarius' house. And on the way, on the way, they're walking through a crowd, and the woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of Jesus' garment, and he heals her. And he stops. Who touched me? And he has this engagement with the the woman of the issue of blood. He's healed her. She's had this problem for years, and it's this incredible miracle. It seems like Jesus heals her when he doesn't even know that he's healing her. But imagine being Jairus while all this is going on. Uh, Jesus is all well and good stuff that your clothes can heal people. But you're supposed to be coming to my house right now. But Jesus isn't in a hurry. He's in total control of his mindset. He sees an opportunity to teach. So he teaches. And he gives grace and mercy. They get to Jarius's house on his timeline, not on Jarius's or anybody else's, and then he heals the little girl. I have some ideas, and a lot of this comes from this this book on how to learn to slow down. And incorporate this, what Richard Foster and Dallas Willard both called the spiritual discipline of slowing. And some of these are crazy. Like drive the speed limit. Get in the slow lane. Come to a complete stop at stop signs don't text and drive and when you need to text somebody pull over and stop and have that conversation show up 10 minutes early to an appointment without your phone get in this is is a tough one Choose a manned checkout line at the grocery store and get in the longest line. Can you imagine the crazy, just the, the skin crawling hatred you'd feel in the moment? Take an afternoon. And turn your smartphone on airplane mode so you can't access the internet or scroll through reels for that afternoon. There's, um, there's a golf tournament that happens. I know I said golf, so you're all really interested now. Um, there's a golf tournament that happens each, each April. It's called the Masters. It's in Georgia. And the Masters has a rule. It has a lot of rules. It's a place that has a lot of rules. They don't allow birds on their property. They have rules. On their telecast, you'll hear birds. That's piped in noise because birds aren't allowed because they might make a mess. There's rules here. One of the rules that they have is no cell phones on the property. And so people who attend the Masters each year have to turn their cell phone in to get on the property. And by all accounts, people who have been interviewed for this, say the first three hours is maddening because you keep grabbing your pocket for your phone. But the average time that you spend a day there for that ticket is about eight hours. And as that that need to grab your phone starts to wane, about three hours in, you start to really enjoy the fact that nobody can get a hold of you. And suddenly, where you have all the anxiety of, I need my phone, I need my phone, I need my phone, you start to calm down and experience peace. Because now you're in control of your agenda instead of somebody else or a device. Keep your phone off every morning until after your quiet time and your family time. What's most important? The emails you got overnight? The family that lives in your house? Your time with Jesus? Set dedicated times to look at email and social media. This next one messed me up a little bit. Single task. I didn't even know what it meant when I first read it. It's the opposite of multitask. Focus on just one. I don't even know how to do that. Walk slower. Take a regular day alone for silence and solitude. Journal. When you have the opportunity, take longer vacations. Cook your own food and eat in with no device on. It, that's a lot, I admit it. And, it, and I don't, I'm not here to be preachy. Please don't go home and tell tell people in work this week, my pastor said, you're not allowed to look at your phone. You can't be a Christian and have a phone. Please don't tell people that. Mine's right here. It's not meant to be judgy. It's not meant to be preachy. And it's as much for me as anyone. We're talking about peace today. And this Advent series is about different The peace of Jesus is different because Jesus offers peace in the storm instead of peace from the storm. We want the storms of life to go away. And sometimes through his grace and through his mercy, they go away. But more often than not, they stay. But he's here with us saying, come, follow me. I want to be with you. I want... I'm not worried about the storm. In fact, when I'm in a boat and it's a storm, I fall asleep because I'm not worried about what's going on out there. I'm worried about what's going on in here. And I want you, in, in whatever storm of life you're experiencing, to be experiencing my peace and my presence. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we need the peace and presence of your Holy Spirit. So I ask that you would come actually I ask that we would come and follow you help us to surrender that part of us that struggles to be all in we're going to share communion at the end and I've been a little longer than I'm supposed to um, but that's okay I pray you'll bear with me for just a minute I'm going to invite our elders to come forward and they're going to have communion at the front of each aisle. Um, and, um, and so we're going to ask you to stand. Um, and this side, we're actually going to have two stations, so you can come to either aisle of that side and receive communion. But we're asking you to stand, come, receive the elements, and then come back to your chair, and we'll share communion together.
2: Trust in God, my Savior.
4: On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he was having dinner with his disciples. He took the bread, he broke it, and he said to them that this bread was his body that was broken for them. That each year when they came to that meal at Passover, they should be they should remember him. Would you pray with me, Jesus? Help us to adopt your lifestyle, so that we could see the fruit of your life in ours. Help us to be quiet in your presence and to find our identity in you. Would you take the bread with me? The passage of scripture goes on to say after dinner, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, drink it remembering me for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus, I want my life to proclaim your death and resurrection. help me to live a life that reflects your character in the world. Your name. Amen. Would you take the cup? Would you offer would you stand as I offer today's benediction? The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give us and give you peace. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. We're going to talk about joy. Thank you.